Hello, I'm Hugh Ronzani, and thank you for joining me for more Baroque Now. On this podcast, we explore the music, people, and period instruments you may be discovering for the first time with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and our digital stage, Brandenburg One. The Australian Brandenburg Orchestra acknowledges the many traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and perform. We pay our respects to elders past, present and to our shared future. As always for Baroque Now, I'm joined by one of the brilliant musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Samuel Mourinho is quickly winning over Australian audiences in his debut series Down Under, The Soprano. Today, Samuel joins me to tell us more about who he is and some of the fabulous arias he has prepared for you in The Soprano. So thank you, Samuel, for joining me today. It is a pleasure sharing the microphone with you. Well, we have each one a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to share if you want. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you, Samuel. Now, as this is your Australian debut, The Soprano with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra, I would love for Brandenburg listeners and listeners everywhere around the globe to get to know you a little better to talk about some of your exciting projects that are coming up, but also what you've been working on with Paul Dyer and some of the other very fine music you have already enjoyed making in your career. Now, perhaps we could go all the way to the start, some early memories. What are your earliest or some of your earliest musical memories? Uh, to be honest, I don't remember very well because in my family, music has been always there. Not exactly classical music, but more like Latin music, like salsa, merengue, all this dancing music, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like my mom, my dad, uh, everyone sings in my family, so not professionally. But yeah, it's, it's something that has been always there. So, So instruments as well as singing? No, not instruments. Well, if we count the voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no instruments, no any instruments, no. And I can uh, the picture you're painting, uh, I can imagine some dancing as well. Yeah, a lot of dancing. My mom, my dad, all my family, they are very good dancers. I am the worst one. I am the worst <laughs> dancer. I don't have any sense of rhythm or whatever I want to say. Well, I but I must say, I really enjoy to dance. I really have a lot of fun dancing, really. I have a lot of fun dancing. I believe that I am a good dancer, but, you know, like my mom or my dad or my uncle or whatever, my sister, I, I think that they are high leagues, you know, they compete with high level. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. And, of course, dancing and music, especially in the Baroque period, it goes together so well. I mean, it's literally a part of the, the same sorts of yeah, uh, festivals and concerts that were, were being put on. Also, styles, minuet, uh, mm. and uh, all these kind of things are dancing, yeah, dance. Mm. Now, who inspired you to learn music as opposed to just enjoying music? Who actually inspired you to learn music? Well, today, I mean, uh, many people inspire me to learn music. Uh, maybe when I was a, a kid, well, I mean, I grew up with Britney Spears and Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say these people inspire me to make, uh, to become an artist, at least, you know. Um, yeah, not only them, I mean, Mariah Carey, a lot of people, like a lot of pop artists. And in classical, I have been listening to many artists, like I love Renée Fleming, Cecilia Bartoli, Maria Callas, of course, um, yeah, I don't know. There are so many inspirations. I find inspirations everywhere, really. Every day there is something to get inspired and, and something to catch, to 
catch or to yeah to copy the sounds of birds, the sound of the nature, um, even the cars uh, rolling on the street, whatever. Yeah. It's very interesting that you talk about other sounds like bird sounds, and yeah. because because it was actually mentioned in an, uh, in a review of your of your opening night that uh, in fact some of your vocalizations were almost bird like, and and I, I I tend to agree with that because there's something in your voice that's very special. I love birds. I love birds. Unfortunately, I cannot appreciate birds that much because my dog is haunting birds all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so she took her off. But I love birds. I really, I am obsessed with birds. If I would be an animal, I would be a bird. Oh, wow. Like wow. only for 24 hours. It doesn't matter. Just I would love to be a bird. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a fantastic thought. And, uh, and as uh, you've mentioned, obviously, pop artists, but also some classical artists. There. Yeah. As a singer, what do you sort of see and perceive as the most important differences between those styles of singing? Um, obviously, you you are inspired by both, but um, but what are the differences between those two that you you can see? Well, I don't wear any microphone. I don't use any microphone like pop artists, and I don't I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I try to maybe. Uh, maybe some people find my singing sometimes weird, or maybe some people find my singing more accessible as well. Because I use I use a lot of pop techniques. For example, I use a lot of my speaking voice when I am singing. Um, I use and I was educated like that. Barbara Boni, one my my teacher, my singer teacher, always told me to sing like that. Just use your speaking voice and just put notes on your voice. You know, your just your speaking voice. And this is I think that this is a very pop music technique of course there is there is something there are some music that is very technical like all these coloraturas and everything these kind of things or high notes or for example this these kind of things are very technical so i have to switch to another system more operatic uh, and projection and all this yeah all these things that i don't understand very well to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well whether or not you say that you understand them is is different to the actual experience of me listening to you doing them and uh, and i i think your opening night is proof enough that uh, that you can and you do understand these things. <laughs> but I don't understand how how much how works to me. You know, like you know, like I have gave a couple of master class in my life, and to be honest, I just try to 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 teach. You know, at, at least to say to the to the students or whatever, who, whoever I am teaching. Um, I am well teaching. I don't know. Um, the whoever I, am, I try to tell them like use no. I mean, identify what is the best on you. You know, for example, that's what that's why my singer teacher told me. You know, when I arrived to Barbara Bonish, I I arrived to her, and I told her, oh please, I want to learn how to how to make it stronger my middle voice. You know, I'm a low voice, and she told me, why do you want to learn that? I mean, you have wonderful high notes. Use that's your cash machine. That's the thing that will take you to the stage. You know, your high voice. So let's work in your high notes and make your high notes even more extraordinary. And after with the time, you will work with your low register and your middle register that will also come with with experience and with time but right now concentrate in what is good on you you know mm. and that's what i always say to people let's concentrate on what is good on us and not only in the mistakes or whatever in the in the week yes Fire. yes 
And and I think Barbara, in her wisdom, is quite she's onto something there because as a teacher, of course, you you don't want to change what a student is. You, you want that student to be able to go on that voyage of discovery and uh, and discover more about themselves and what makes them a unique performer, especially with singers. I mean, yeah. every single voice is unique, and so it's yeah. you know it's it's hard to say to someone, oh no, you have to do this or you have to do well. To there's do that. a lot of people who does. That. <laughs> you know, I study in Paris. And any of my teachers, I think that, well, maybe one teacher, yeah, one of my teachers, I changed a lot of teachers at school, in the conservatory, because they always believed they have to be a contertenor and I have to sing the alto or mezzo-soprano register, because they said that they were not music for me, that they were not written music for me. Yeah. Have have they heard of Baroque music? And, you well, know, the soprano castrati, you know, roles. Yeah. But it's very, you know, tradition is is you, they people they don't imagine that. For example, like roles like Cherubino, yeah. things like that. Uh, it have been always have have been always sang by a woman. Yeah. You know, and they cannot imagine. Oh, actually, you can sing this. You yeah. know, they don't. And they gender don't. fluidity uh, is is also yeah. that was a part of it back in the Baroque. Absolutely, and, and yeah. It wasn't a problem. In fact, the particular serenata that you're singing an aria from uh, with. Uh, with, uh, I think it's Morti Col Fiero Aspetto. Yeah. Um, in the uh, opening, so the the premiere of that work, there was a woman singing the singing the role of Antonio, and there was a man singing the role of, yeah. of Cleopatra. Farinelli sang <laughs> Cleopatra, and a woman sang Mark Antonio. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I mean, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was it was totally fine in that time. Yeah, yeah. it was totally fine. Yeah. Now, with your experience and the study that you have done. Um, how do you go about then approaching repertoire when you come to later repertoire like Bernstein's West Side Story that you you were involved in um, as opposed to the repertoire that you're singing with Brandenburg in The Soprano? Yeah, well, you know, I I am very curious about different styles and repertoire. Um, I really like different kind of music. I mean, Baroque music for me, to me, is like, it's the natural way to go. I mean, uh, since I say before, I studied in Paris, so (laughs) Baroque music has been always like, something natural you know like i am i have i am a man with high voice so i have to do baroque music and i love baroque music i really love baroque music but i don't restrain myself to only to baroque music i believe that life is too short to restrain yourself to only one thing <laughs> so um well first of all i believe that i have a responsibility as uh, to work with uh, modern composers the composer who is still alive because i believe if i want to keep this business alive i have to work with people who are still alive. <laughs> I like it or not. Uh, I have to be like that. It's my responsibility. And I believe that we all have, we all should be like that. And second of all, I mean, I love, I mean, I love many music. I love Verdi. I love uh, uh, Puccini. I love Strauss, for example. I love, I, I am obsessed with Strauss right now. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I'm Bernstein. And yeah, and I think that you know, like, and the, and the, at the end of the day, they all relate each other. You know, they all they all can relate. It's not like, oh, I am baroque singer, so I cannot sing this or whatever, or I have a small voice or was no. It's just like, I think that this always a way to all relate together. Yeah. And so, when you're preparing music, then ahead of a program, is it always the same process? You're using your keyboard, and and your you sort of ha- what's your process? Maybe you could tell us about what you do. Well, I am a fast learner. I shouldn't say this, <laughs> because some sometimes people abuse of that. But I learn very fast. 
um, I learned very fast music, and I just like, well, first of all, I learned the music, I learned the rhythm, I learned, um, yeah, I learned the music, and after I tried to get into the text, into the character, uh, that's very important to me, like really understand the character and relate it to myself. It related to Samuel Mourinho. Even if it's Cleopatra, I try to relate Cleopatra, what she's saying, with I am, you know, with who I am. Because I want to be sincere and I want to be honest with the audience, you know. Um, so that's my process. And it's very, to be honest, it's, it's very intense. I take time. I mean, I learn very fast the music, but it take me, it, it take time to me, like, to get into the character. So let's let's put on... Uh, Quella Fiamma. Yeah. Now, this is from your debut album, Care Pupille. Would you like to tell us about this album and, and how the recording came about? Well, it was a very fun. Uh, it was a very fun album. I mean, I when I they tell me like they would like to make an album with me, I say, well, what are we going to record? And they told me, well, let's record something baroque. And I say, well, I'm I'm a young singer. I am my my voice is still fresh and it's not uh, completely stable. So let's record a composer that make a good writing for voice. So I choose Handel and Gluck. And together with the um, conductor, Michael Hochstetter, uh, we discovered that Handel and Gluck, they met each other in London in 1746. And they make a charity concert together. Yeah. And one of the areas of that concert was Care Pupille that Gluck wo- uh, wrote. Uh, it's an aria from Orestes. I don't know. or I don't remember the opera, the name of the opera. So, well, we call the the program and the recording Care Pupille. And yeah, it was a fun time. I and mean, I chose so many gastro. I think that all of them, no, not all of them, but I think that 90% of the area have been written by for Acastrato. I think that one of the area was, I think the area from La Corona, Gluck La Corona, he wrote it for one of the Archiduchesse, the, the sister of Marie Antoinette or something like that. They were singers. And I, he, I think that he wrote that area for one of the sisters. And it's interesting to note that a lot of the members of the um, the nobility that were patronizing this music, they were, um, you know, very interested and often yeah. very proficient musicians themselves. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I am not sure how the sister of Marie Antoinette sang all these coloraturas. <laughs> well, she, she, yeah, <laughs> that's one example. But yes, yes, that, that's true. It's a lot of, yeah, yeah. Maybe she was a little bit overambitious. I think so. I think that, I don't know, maybe she was good, but I am sure that she got applause for sure. You know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so without any further ado, Samuel, would you like to introduce this piece one more time? Yeah, so this one is Quella Fiamma. It's from the opera Arminio from Handel. It was one of the last opera that he recorded, that he sorry, that he composed for Covent Garden, one of the last season. Uh, he composed for this uh, wonderful castrato that I, fits me very well, called Gizielo, I think so. And he was a wonderful. It's very good for me because he's, he wrote very high notes for him, like a high C. That's very weird, you know, in Handel repertoire. And he wrote this wonderful note for this castrato soprano. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, Samuel, I'll bring that down so we can talk a little bit about this track and, and what's happening on stage with Adam Masters, who's playing the obligato oboe part in this particular aria. Now, you guys seem to be having a lot of fun while you're on stage. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I am having fun. For me, singing is always fun. So tell me about then uh, sharing the stage with Adam and this particular aria, how it works. It's wonderful. He was so well prepared from, from the first rehearsal. He was really very well, well prepared. And that's sometimes rare for an oboe player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was wonderful. He's a wonderful person. I like him very much and I am so happy to share a stage with him. And we have a lot of fun. We have a huge cadenza in the end of the area. And it's always like an improvisation of like, we, I mean, we have some patterns like we have to respect. Some, uh, some parts that we have to like, okay, let's meet in this moment together. But the rest is quite free. Yeah, I improvise and he improvises and yeah. Yeah, I've heard it, it I've heard it many times through rehearsals and then with opening night as well. It's been different every single time. And it's going to be different. It's going every to be different again time. tonight, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so tell us how that uh, how that works then. It, do you get to lead or does uh, does Adam lead or who leads the cadenza? Well, I lead the cadenza in the beginning and after I like give him his chance, you know, like to lead me like to challenge me I like to be challenged yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now um, your opening night was a huge success Samuel and I haven't seen such roaring and animated reactions from the crowd in, in some time uh, but perhaps we could talk about the Soprano program and how it came together uh, because it is certainly a very successful program and I'd love to know how it started. So where did the project start, Samuel? Where, does, where did the soprano come to be? I don't remember when I got contacted by the orchestra, like one year or even a bit more than one year and a half ago. And uh, We were talking about making my Australian debut and everything making this program. And I was so excited. Well, first of all, to come to Australia, I mean, to visit this continent and I was, it's my, my first time in here. And... I was very excited. Uh, I, they found this name also, like the Australian Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. They found the wonderful title, The Soprano. I found it super nice. I want to even call a recording like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were we were thinking about in the beginning. We were thinking like, well, we should make should we, should we make some Mozart? Should we make some some more classical repertoire? But after I think that. We decided together, Paul and I, I think that we figured out to make more Baroque repertoire. It's, um, I think that this is less dramatic, it's more light as well. It's more light, it's more easy to understand. Awesome. It's more easy to understand. And it's also less instrument. Instruments, it's like it's not so many, like you don't have so, so many winds or horns or yes. flutes or, and all this kind of thing. Like it's, yeah. And it's also like uh, making a 
a classic uh, repertoire in, in period instrument is very difficult because we have this uh, this strange pitch like it's 430 and it's like between modern pitch and baroque pitch and it's like super difficult pitch yeah mm-hmm. in, in your recording um, that uh, that's been released uh, in your new album mm-hmm. that was one of the first things that I noticed because I was trying to figure out what key you were singing Kefaro in mm-hmm. um, because I had this music from the original version which is in a different key, which was for uh, an alto voice, I said, yeah. you the know, Vienna version, the Vienna version, and uh, and and so uh, your pitch was was somewhere in between an E flat and an E, and I was trying to figure, okay, well, what is this? And, and of course, know. there's the answer, yeah, yeah, the classical pitch four thirty is like a car of of tone of, of between 440 that is the normal pitch and f- like and 415 that is the baroque pitch yes and yeah. it's so complicated it's super i mean for at least for me i have quite a perfect pitch and I, so for me so complicated to sing in 430 so it's like it's too sharp it's too flat it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and your reference points in terms of your voice then you're often singing either in 440 or in 415 exactly so i can imagine that that would be a muscle memory problem maybe absolutely yeah 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 now uh so you've told us about how it started how did you meet paul for the first time i think it was i I think it was during the lockdown it was like a zoom (laughs) (laughs) i mean the first time i think it was a zoom yeah a zoom meeting but here in australia yeah the day i arrived here he took me to a wonderful walk uh he showed me the opera he showed me also like uh the all the pool in the beach and bombay bondi bondi yeah yeah and yeah it was lovely yeah yeah i am so happy he's so so open and so friendly and so but so professional as well he's very professional he's an artist he i like to work with people like that it's like a it's like a dream really you seem to have been having a a great time so far in sydney what are some of the things that you've seen so far that you've enjoyed the most about the city and the coffee (laughs) (laughs) i love flat white yeah And the food, oh my god, I'm getting fat. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to the fitness every morning because I my clothes, my outfit for a stage are so small, like I cannot earn like an I cannot like cannot, I cannot earn one kilo more. I cannot <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, that's it's an interesting point. And and also maybe you could tell us about your your outfits and how you came to decide on what you wanted to wear for this program because uh, you you love your fashion yeah, and you're very I passionate fashion, about this. Yeah. I love fashion a lot. I design a lot of my outfits actually. A lot uh, made by me. From the fabric, choosing the fabric, uh, designing the model, everything. A lot of them, they are designed by me. But yeah, I mean, like the soprano, I mean, it's super fun. I mean, they already the title is fun, it's funny, you know, like the soprano. So I just choose fun outfits. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and when I was talking with Paul about it, Paul told me, yeah, please bring everything that like you want, that uh, you can change, bring them uh, as much as you can. And yeah, it was so fun. I feel very free to, to do whatever I want. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I have a different outfit every night. Yes, yes. Yeah. I have a different outfit every night. Imagine, I can, you cannot imagine how many suitcases I have. <laughs> so how many did you bring out of, out of curiosity? Three? Three. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Three. I have, I see 65 kilos in total. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
that's, that's a lot of luggage, um, I have to say, Samuel. And um, and who who gets to pull all of this luggage? Are you pulling that around yourself? Or? I pull it all around, yeah. That's incredible. Now, um, it, obviously, this repertoire suits your voice uh, very well. Um, but what sort of clothes do you think tend to suit with the soprano? When you when you really started to to think to yourself, okay, I I, I need to figure out what outfits I want for this program. I know it's going to be fun and all this. Um, how did you go about that uh, that decision uh, making process? Well, it's it's even like I am changing on the stage, so it's like several decisions as well. Because for example, in the B- I start the program with infurore, uh, so it's like um, something with energies. Uh, bravura is like a really a strong energy, so I want to I want to be dressing something strong as well. And after in the second part, I have something more vulnerable, like a Kefaro and Morte Amara. So I want to be more simple, more maybe more black, more dark. And in the end, I have these fun Cleopatra's areas. <laughs> I have Cleopatra. Uh, so, yeah, I want to look more, maybe more flamboyant or something like that. So it's a lot of work. Believe it or not, people maybe believe, oh, he's having fun with the outfit. I do have fun, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time I spend uh, shopping and online and people sending me things. And, um, yeah, so it's a lot of work. It's all take me a lot of hours. Yeah. And I'm getting a sense that also for you, it, it is related to the character as well, that you're you're trying to uh, show the character in an outward sense, all of the work that you've put into to the text. Absolutely. And, you know, like, as I said before, I grew up with uh, with pop artists. Um, pop artists does the same during the shows, you know, they have uh, wonderful outfits or wonderful uh, stage or whatever. So I want to do the same. I get inspired by them. So I want to do the same to also to bring a new generation to this business. In terms of uh, what you were talking about then uh, in, in terms of commissioning and uh, and working with young artists who are obviously, you know, still alive today, writing yeah. music today. Uh, is this a, a facet of what you talk about with, with artists who, with composers that you're commissioning? Because because you cannot take the staging away from uh, the music that's being recorded in a way. It's a live performance. So yeah. so how do you disassociate that you simply can't? So is that something that often comes up in those discussions too? Absolutely, yeah. It's very important. And it's also very important to me to, to talk with, comp- I mean, like to relate what is happening today in the society. You know, I think a composer have been done that always in their in all of composer. I would say they always always relate uh, their music with the society. You know, like for example, uh, Bellini he wrote uh, Norma when uh, I think the French were getting Italy again. You know, these kind of things. Um, so um, Giulio Cesare, all these kind of operas, they have been written for a political reason and a sociological reason as well. So that's something that I take always in consideration like uh, uh, for example also the staging also like related what is happening today you know we want the audience to dream of course but we also want the audience to feel identified with all every single story that we are doing Mm, that's a very good point now uh just before our second uh music excerpt for today i I was wondering actually speaking about composers and and commissioning for you your voice is a very unique voice but but also um you have strengths and and certain weaknesses that you've already alluded to in terms of your your lower notes your middle register as opposed to your high notes um when you work with young uh composers uh, that you're commissioning 
what sort of things do you suggest to them about your voice in, in particular then? No extreme things. I don't like extreme jumps. I don't like even the castrato things are very difficult for me sometimes because they have they have this extreme uh, high and after the extreme low, I, that's, I am very bad on that. It's very technical. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's very, very technical. And I really want to preserve my voice as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is something very important to me. And I'll also say to composers, I w- please write something meaningful. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's important to... I am, the, that's, I am the best on that. That Really, that's my best. Like, seeing something... Meaningful. W- meaningful, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you were talking about that in your speech, actually, just before the, the encores of opening night, that you, you want to spread happiness, but, but also meaning in, in, give meaning to life. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 important. I mean, we we never after COVID, you know, we we realized we don't know how long this can 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 be. You know, this music can be maybe tomorrow will be another pandemic or something like that, and everything will stop for two years more. So for me, every performance is like a last performance. You know. Yeah. And I try to enjoy it as much as I can, and to and to make the audience enjoy it as much. As they can. As they can. Yeah. Now, th- there are lots of things to choose from, from the soprano, uh, wonderful excerpts. Is there a particular track that you feel um, has perhaps a little bit more meaning then that uh, that, that you'd like to share with uh, with our audiences? Uh, yeah, for, I love Kefaro. I love Kefaro, Sincero Dice. Uh, when I made this aria, when I record this aria, um, it was quite difficult to record because there are so many references. I like many of them, but sometimes I believe that many of the recordings sound like a lullaby, mm. you know, like a, mm. like too slow tempo, no dramatic enough. I mean, just Orfeo, he just lost uh, the love of the love of his life. Um, I found it like I want to make it more, as I said before, more meaningful, really more real, more how I will feel if I am Orfeo, really. Yeah. So more text. Absolutely, more pronunciation, mm-hmm. more pronunciation, less singing. I don't. Sometimes I speak literally. I speak in this area, and yeah, that's my intention in this area. I mean, yeah, it's my it's my vision about this area. I don't judge the other. I like a lot the I like a lot the version of Marilyn Horn. Sounds so manly, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sound much more man than many contenders actually. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was my vision of this area. Really, like, like make it very dramatic, like very dram, no dramatic, very sincere. Mm. I think that that's the correct word, sincere. Well, there's been a lot said, and and because it is such a popular uh, aria, but mm-hmm. the the opera too, and um and Gluck himself clearly uh, knew that he was onto a winner because the number of times that he revised this particular opera and this material, this aria, you know, he he knew that this was a very strong piece of music. But in terms of the gallant period and and the psychology of that time, um the reason for it being in a major key as opposed to a minor key sometimes it's it's posited that um that it's meant to be some sort of um noble reserve in yeah. a way he was a demigod you know he was controlling his emotions and so maybe that that might explain some of the versions out there that are seemingly more lullaby-esque yeah. that you're talking about more reserved um but uh i like to think of those exclamations where you you, you get to basically shout almost yeah. you know yeah, yeah. it's 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 maybe because this aria at the point in the opera 
uh, he's only just lost Yuridic. He's only just turned around and yeah. she's only just died. So it's almost like the emotion hasn't hit him yet. Yep. And then all of a sudden he has these pangs of emotion. Yep. And the B section probably tells us more about, that in the minor key, tells us more about his emotional state than the, the main A section of the, of the aria. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, this is, you know, I, I love, I, Luke and I, we have a love and hate relationship. <laughs> I mean, um, because I love melodies. And Luke was not very good in melodies, I think so. I, I mean, like, for example, in this opera, in Orfeo, I think that this is the only melody. Yeah. <laughs> I, or I think this is the only melody of the opera. I mean, there is the, um, the Furia part, but it's not an aria. He was not very good making arias, really. He was not like a, an aria. He was very good creating the drama and really, like, like nourish the drama as well, even sometimes too much. For yeah. example, there are some operas like uh, oh, there are some of these the last dramas like Alceste and all this kind of thing that they are really very heavy in drama, mm. you know. Uh, and so that's my relationship with Gluck. But on the other hand, I love Gluck because he really cares about the text. Mm. Really, uh, he's very into the theater about about the really theater part of the music, you know. Um, and you know he always write that uh, in, in his treatise and all these kind of things. I think that in the in the in the prelude uh, he wrote the prelude of um, how do you say that of um, I think that it was uh, one of the opera he created in Vienna, one of the reform operas. Anyway, but he talked about really about the the importance of the text, about the importance of really the good pronunciation and really bringing the text to the front, you know, bringing the action to the front, and not so much about the music and about the these beautiful voices and melodies, you know. Mm. And this is something that I love from Gluck. It's mm. something that I really like from him. Well, I'm glad you found some redeeming qualities because not only if you're criticizing his use of melody, Handel was criticizing his use of counterpoint. So yeah. he's not doing too well as a composer if he can't write a melody and he can't do counterpoint. Yeah, I think that Handel said that his his cooker have better can write better counterpoint than Gluck. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but to be to be fair, Handel's cook was actually a musician as well. But oh, yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> but very funny. So without any further ado then, Samuel, would you like to introduce this track for us, please? Yeah, so Que Faros en Cerudice, I think that it's third act from Orfeo, from the opera Orfeo. Uh, this one, this one that I am singing, it was composed for, La F it's, um, actually the, it's, it's the full composition, it's called La Festa d'Apollo, mm -hmm. and he composed it in Parma for one of the wedding of the daughter of Marie, Marie, Marie Therese, uh, the mother of Marie Antoinette. And he composed this, uh, he composed three acts, and the, th the third act was the act of Orfeo, and it's the opera Orfeo. Yes, where he condensed all of the, the, the three acts of the original opera into yeah, one act. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
we'll leave you singing on in the background there, Samuel. Um, what was recording this album like? What was what was it like? What was that process like? It was like? so difficult. It was during COVID, so we have to make a, co- a COVID test every day <laughs> in the morning. But it was that was a difficult part. But it was um it was very demanding to record this music. It's very very demanding music. Uh, it's very exposed music, very exposed repertoire. So it's like any, so it's it was very difficult to record. Uh, actually. Well, I hope that my recording company is not listening to this, but <laughs> I, it's very difficult for me to record, uh, to put all the emotions and through the microphone, all these kind of things. And it's super weird, you know, and also to, to, to do it without audience, you know, yeah. with an, an audience in front of me. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's always a different, it's always, I always, always say that for myself, it's a different way of singing when you record. Uh, I hope that people can hear my, my the same voice of my recordings that on a stage, but I will not say that it's the same experience. It's totally not the same experience. Uh, when I am, uh, my vibrations, all these uh, overtones, all these kind of things, even if the microphone is like, I would say it's the last technology, I think that you cannot catch it completely. Also the vibration of the instruments also. Yeah, I, th- I believe that. Yeah. Well, that that's actually been proven. <laughs> so, so science is behind you, Samuel. That in it's these uh, essentially these vibrations in in the air yeah. that go beyond human hearing yeah. that are not captured by certain microphones. Even if you re- have a microphone that records up to thirty thousand hertz, uh, in fact, what we experience as sound goes far beyond that. Yeah. And uh, and that sensation also is true of notes that are lower and lower than than you know human mm. human hearing yeah, can take yeah. us. And so the the sensation of hearing you live, it, it's also the visual aspect. The these these other things we've been talking about, it does have an influence on the emotional response mm. that I think audiences have to your to your singing. Mm. And um, and you've mentioned Decca, your your recording label. You've only just signed with Decca. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Um, now, now they are also uh, going to have you recording. I'm sure other projects too. Yeah, and actually recorded my other one this year. Yeah, <laughs> my second one this year. So I'd love to hear about those future projects now, and and what's on the horizon for Samuel Mourinho. I think that uh, right now I just already proved to myself and maybe some part of the audience that I can sing Baroque music with my first recording I handle, uh, with my and in my second recording I can sing some. Also, the other 18, the other half of the 18th century, that is Mozart, Cimarosa, etc. I think that today I want to share with the audience um, uh, something more personal, more myself, more who is Samuel Marino, who is really me, who is uh, who I and really am. Um, it's not only a musical research; it's also. Um, it's also a personal and psychological research for myself because uh, I, I still don't know who I am and I, I think that I will never know who I am. <laughs> I think that there are no limits in that. But, I, but yeah, I've, this is my next recording. I want to do it like that, more like who I am and what, how I feel today. So are there any bits of information in terms of repertoire or, or do, uh, are you going to leave us in the dark about, about what I you'll be singing? I just can say that it will not be only classical music. That's fantastic. Very mm, exciting. Yeah, I, will, I want to explore different music and genres. Yeah, yeah. 
And then with your tour, so you're currently in Australia yeah. and just about to head to Melbourne. Um, please tell us about what happens after Australia as well. Where are you traveling to? Well, I just arrived to Europe and I have to sing C minor mass in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sing C minor mass in Poland uh, from this year. Um, oh my God, I am so bad with my agenda. I go to Poland uh, a couple of times. I sing in Krakow. I sing C minor mass, as I say before. Beautiful. Motor masterpiece. I sang it before. Uh, when I sang this, I actually it was a beautiful souvenir for me because when I sang this, it's so beautiful that I say I can stop my career already because I have achieved musically the highest levels that I know of compositions, at least of 18th century, because I have a lot of respect to this uh, mass, to see C minor mass. If if people can hear, they can hear the best recordings with Barbara Boni. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Boni, Claudia Bado, Arlene Oje, that's my favorite recording. And after that, um, I come back to Poland again. I make a program called Desperate Heroines. So I am singing, I am singing for the first time, actually, uh, Beethoven. I am singing, wow. Yeah, I am singing the concert aria of Fidelio. Uh, I'm singing also a Perfido from Beethoven. I'm singing Haydn, uh, Berenice Kefai, and I am making these uh, desperate uh, heroines in the in in the 18th century. Yeah. After that, I think that I am off to UK to record my second album yeah. <laughs> with Decca, my second album with Decca, and that's it's a long process. You know, I always like block one month. And next season, I am going to the United States. I go to Los Angeles. To Cali I make a Californian tour. I also go to Toronto to sing with Tuffle Music in Toronto. I also go to South Korea. I go to many. I go the closest that to Australia. I go to Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Singapore as well. And yeah, it's a, there is a lot of fun things. A lot of yeah, a lot of fun places. A lot of traveling. I am tired of traveling but there is a lot of traveling in the future and yeah and I hope to come back to Australia as soon as possible. Now I'm sure that you're an inspiration for many young artists already and and there are probably uh, whole loads of young singers dreaming about this sort of life traveling and, and performing music all around the world. Um, if you were going to give some advice to these young artists who are dreaming of this sort of career what, what would that be? That not everything is about the fame, you know, like it's not like what we believe it is. It's like you have to pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I pay taxes in every country I work, you know. So they have to, young artists have to, I would say like enjoy as much as you can. You know, and whatever whatever you are, like there is no little, there is no big. I believe that we are all the same, um, and we are we deserve the same. You know, like we we are all the same. To be honest, doesn't matter if you have a recording contract or with a label, or not, or you are singing in a small house or in a big house. I think that doesn't matter. The most important is like you are, you give a message to the audience and you make people happy. Yeah. That's, and made yourself happy too. That's that's a fantastic piece of advice. Being happy, I think, is probably the best thing you could and do. And equality, really. We are not yeah. like, people believe like, yeah, but because like you are traveling so much and everything and you have seen so many places. You know, I've been in London at least like five times and I have never been to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's still time, Samuel. There's still yeah. time. Maybe during your next recording yeah, exactly. se recording session with Decca. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the last music excerpt for today, I'd love to share with audiences. Actually, is not on the program, but it's a very special piece that happens as an encore at the at the end of the program. Would you like to tell us about this particular aria? 
Well, Istrale Procelle from Cesare Cleopatra from a ground, written by ground. Um, it's a very fun area. It's really very, very, a lot of coloraturas, a lot of uh, scales. Oh my God, actually recording this area, I realized how difficult it is to make a, a, like a scale. <laughs> like Torre Mi Fasolacito It's so difficult. And all, all my instrument, the instrumentalist people told me like, of course, it's the most difficult for us as well. <laughs> 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 yeah but yeah there's a lot of scales a lot of trills a lot of uh yeah it's very fun area a lot of high notes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and and with whom were you recording in this particular uh, i recorded with chateau de versailles with the orchestra of versailles of the castle of versailles i'm very nice musician very nice almost all are polish yeah, yeah. oh really yeah <laughs> <laughs> And and it's a very fantastic setting. Uh, maybe you could tell us just briefly about that because there's a video of you all performing together. Yeah, it's a wonderful setting. Actually, we are, I am recording as well the second. I am recording another program with them next year. Now that I remember, I am recording another program with them. It's a wonderful setting. It's like you know, like oh, um, we record this um, during COVID, so it was the lockdown. So. There were no tourists in the palace, you know, no one was on the palace, only us, you know, only the orchestra and, and us, like, no one was on the palace. And I was touching everything around. Yeah. I, I love touching, you know, so yeah. <laughs> nobody was watching, so I was touching everything around. Yeah. Maybe after this, I will go to jail. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, the French are very protective of their cultural heritage, but the Palais de Versailles, when uh, as that's what yeah. you're talking about, um, it's it, it's used still very much so, and in fact, even more so these days for this sort of wonderful collaboration with musicians performing in a space where music would have happened. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the, the opera house is beautiful. The opera house was constructed for the wedding of uh, Marie Antonietta Louis XVI, and it's so beautiful. It's an op a beautiful opera house. Terrible acoustic, terrible to sing there. I mean, for the audience, it's great, I think so, but to sing there is quite dry for the instrumentalists, uh, for the singers. Uh, I also record, actually record this one in the Galerie de Glace. Uh, I don't know if it, uh, some of the audience have been there. I hope so. It's like a big room with a lot of mirrors and around. It's very, very beautiful. And I must say, I am very grateful to with the artistic team of the Palais de Versailles, Chateau de Versailles, and they really support artists and they really support uh, new generations as well. Really, I am very grateful with them. And we have a, a lot of, I am touring with them, actually. I am going to South Korea with them i'm going to singapore with them uh yeah and they are wonderful i love working with them really it's like a family really well that that's an amazing thought and and thank you again for sharing all that information let's now hear you all performing together trale procele Sotto from uh, karl heinrich Graun's opera cesare cleopatra <laughs> Whoa! 
Now, Samuel, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. <laughs> Thank you for sharing so much of your time. Are there any shout-outs that you would like to, uh, to to have today? Is there anyone in particular you want to shout-out well, to? Well, I want to say hello to everyone that have been to the concert or to the premiere concert. It was so much fun. <laughs> and thank you so much for the warm applause. And, of course, my friend Olena, she's in New York. She would love to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello to Olena, and uh, thank you very much again, Samuel. And I'm looking forward to hearing you in concert yeah, uh, again uh, before you leave Sydney. Thank you. <laughs> The Brandenburg is proud of our long-standing relationship with partner Macquarie Group. Our partnership with Macquarie Group is built on a shared vision of infinite possibilities and a commitment to the very highest standards of excellence. The Brandenburg is also proud to be supported by APA Group, our presenting partner for the Bach series. Through our partnership with APA Group, we have the opportunity to connect Baroque music to audiences and communities throughout Australia.